0: Thank you. Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the new breed tech platform used by 15,000 recruiters worldwide. Vincere is the secret weapon for progressive recruitment firms. It provides recruiters with everything they need to scale from CRM slash ATS through to online timesheets, websites, and analytics. A true all-in-one growth platform built by recruiters for recruiters. Learn more about Vinny's story on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to accelerate growth, visit vincere.io slash talenttalkasia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Shulin Lee, founder of Answer Search and podcast host for After the Bar. Don't worry, you've not picked the wrong pot today. I'm turning the tables on Andrea Ross and she will be sitting in the hot seat for today's episode of Talent Talk Asia. As we all know, Andrea is a coach, some sort of guru for recruiters and talent acquisition people. She specialises in coaching people in the recruitment and HR industry. And before coaching recruiters, She was a recruiter herself. Today, I'm super excited to find out what she's all about, what makes her tick. And there are some questions I've been dying to ask
0: Andrea. So Andrea, welcome to your own podcast show. Wow, thank you. (laughs) God, I feel like I need you to do my intros all the time. They're (laughs) so much more exciting than my ones.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to dive right into it because there are a lot of questions here. And the first segment Today, we're going to break it down to three segments. The first part, we're going to find out more about who is Andrea Ross. Dun, and we're dun, going to dun. talk a bit about leadership lessons. And last but not least, we're going to talk about your insights into the recruitment industry. Thanks. So, let's just get started. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm Andrea? ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So, Andrea, you of all people, you know the heartaches, the headaches, and also the joy of getting the right candidate for the right position. hmm So to begin, could you share with all your listeners what started your recruitment journey?
0: Mm. Um, it, I think everyone stumbles into it. Is that I think everyone has that same experience. I wanted to go into the prison service. I do not know why. I probably watched too many episodes of The Bill or all the crime programs <laughs> on TV. Um, I did loads of interns with the police force. I'd go out in the police cars and kind of go on patrol. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Can you imagine me on patrol at like 15 years old? Hilarious. <laughs> um, and I really wanted to do that. And so after university, I, you know, I'd studied behavioral science, or psychology, sociology, and all that lovely things. And I thought, yep, I'm going to go into the prison service. That is what I'm going to do. And I wanted to do a master's and I couldn't afford to do a master's. Um, I'm not from a wealthy background. And so I thought I'll take a year out. i moved to London. I knew how to type. My mum had forced me from a young age to touch type. So I'm the super fast typist you'll ever find. So If you ever see me on a virtual workshop, I'm like... <laughs> like this. I'm super fast. And so I joined as a secretary to a company, um, Michael Page. Amazing. I joined Michael Page uh, as a secretary. So I worked on the contract desk. Uh-huh. I I typed CVs. I bought coffees. I babysat for my um, boss's children. I organized quarterly events. Uh, so yeah, I did it all. So I just literally sat on this contract desk with pretty exceptional people. I have to say, when I look back on that now and I see these people um, on LinkedIn and they've gone on, done amazing things. And I really was around amazing people just listening to how they were managing offers. You know, fewer few tears in, in the toilets <laughs> because I would offers go down the drain and that was kind of that emotional roller coaster. But I sat there and I thought, I can do this, like I, I you know, and it made me really decide, do not want to go and do masters and be skint for the rest of my life? <laughs> or can I do this? And I, I knew I could do it and I knew I could also do it better. So wow. I just I put my hand up and persuaded my boss to put me on the graduate training scheme, which some people say, well, that, that could have been easy. It was actually harder for me because they didn't necessarily accept me as the traditional grad trainee because they were taking Mm. grad trainees from Exeter University, sort of like the creme de la creme of university, like Durham and all these kind of places. I I went to Huddersfield University. It was like an ex-polytechnic. You know, I was not the breed of Michael Page graduate trainee. You know, I was not. Um, So I had to do loads of interview rounds. And um, thankfully, my boss had kind of, you know, give me a load of practice on say this, say that. So... (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I suppose that was quite good for me because it gave me the drive to prove everyone wrong. Yeah. I had to work that a little bit harder. I didn't want to, you know, I had, there'd be references. And, oh, yeah, she used to work on that desk as a secretary. So for me, even though I was a graduate, the same as everyone else, yes. you know, I, I was slightly different. But then for me, I felt I had an upper hand. I knew the people in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew the roller coaster. I kind of knew what was going to go on. You know, I knew that the quarterly bashes involved drinking a lot and being sick in the toilet at the end of the night and <laughs> knowing that I shouldn't do that. So there was kind of, you know, these kind of things that you learn early on. So yeah. that got me into recruitment. That wow. was kind of the first stages. Yeah.
1: That story. I admire your guts to put your hand up and say, "Hey, I've been formatting CVs, but guess what? I think I can do the job, and maybe even better." Yeah, God, formatting
0: CV was absolutely soul destroying. I gotta say, it was all (laughs) it was. was, I was just sort of listening to everyone on the phone, going, "I want to do that. I want to do that." So yeah, I did it for about six months, and I just I had to move and do something different. Amazing. Yeah.
1: If you hadn't put your hand up, we wouldn't be seated here. I know it's kind of crazy, isn't it? It's really crazy. Okay, so Andrea, how about your you know, I I find it personally very inspiring that you set up the career establishment mm. and Weera Women yeah. in Recruitment Asia. Yeah. So how did that come about? Was it a push-pull factor? What was going through your mind when you started? And actually, yeah. what's
0: your your purpose and what's your aim and mm. all of that? Yeah, I mean, look, I'd come from a recruitment background. Obviously, when I left Michael Page, I yeah. joined Morgan McKinney, I joined Robert Walters. Yeah. And so I'd reached quite a senior level within Robert Walters. And I loved recruitment. I loved leading. I loved all of that. Mm. But also what was really part of my real passion is developing people. I mean, that's always been for me. I've always enjoyed building up teams, seeing someone that didn't have the skills, seeing them walk in with a better handbag, put a deposit <laughs> on a house. Like for me, that's joy to see yeah. someone grow. That just, that does it for me, always has done. And so when I left Robert Walters because I just, my husband had a job in Germany for a start. So we moved um, We moved there. He'd, he'd been asking me to go for years because my career was progressing, but he needed to do it with his and it meant a trip to Germany. It meant a stint in Germany. And every time we had the conversation, it was, oh, but I've just taken over Vietnam. I've just taken over Malaysia. If I stick to something, I need to, I need to turn it, you know, I had to turn around those businesses. And so after I got back from Germany, I was a different person, right? I was just different. It was just kind of, do I want to go into that hardcore recruitment industry can I replicate what I did with Robert Waters? and I just sort of felt no I'm proud of what I did there I don't need to replicate it but what I can do is help people get better at what they do within recruitment and so I had a friend of mine that was just lived around the corner from me and just said why don't you do training I was like oh really do I know anything about training then I, then I thought women, well, I've been training recruiters my entire career at yeah. Robert Walters I used to design the truck because when we when Robert Waters first started everyone always thinks Robert Walters has always been." this beast of a recruitment firm, you know, Mm. massive organisation, loads of infrastructure, loads of support. It wasn't that when I joined. It was 10, 15 people. It was a boutique. Um, You know, we didn't have HR. We didn't have resources. You know, we didn't have a huge amount of sector. We didn't have any of that support. So um, I wrote the training programmes. I facilitated them. As I got more senior within the business, I rewrote them across the region, leadership stuff. Probably completely rubbish compared to what I do now. But – then I, when my friend approached me and said, look, I've got to know a few clients that would actually be really interested in someone like you training them. Um, that's where it all started. You know, my first client was RPI, RP International, which I think you are in your office now. They're in oh. your building, right? Um, and they're extremely supportive. And, you know, I must have done an all right job. I worked with them for a couple of years after that. So um, that was sort of the passion for me was being able to develop people. a came about because... There's just no, rec- there's no community with recruiters. And, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly a testament to the way I probably behaved of how I treated competitors as well. Um, I think we have spoke about this yes. before, right? Um, and that sort of changed a lot. And I felt in Asia, there were so many people that I couldn't touch. I could only do a certain amount of coaching. I could only do a certain amount of training. I could only deliver a certain amount of learning programs. And I had so many people that I felt, God, you know, you haven't got a boss that necessarily has the budget for you or the company has got the budget. And I felt, well, what's missing here? And Women in Recruitment was a group in London that did a brilliant job, but I felt we could do it better in Asia. Um, And so sort of developed out more services for it. So to create a community where people to come together and, you know, it was tough. I had a few recruiters kind of, blatantly kind of say it's never going to work it's uh we don't want to be in the same room as competitors what are you doing this is going to affect it and look some of some of those organizations turned around some of them are still members and they joined it and they're they're good about it and others are still a little bit nervous about it of course but it's the world is changing it's more about community-led you know groups it's not about this competitive kind of dog-eat-dog dog world. It's not like that anymore. People don't want that. Youngsters don't want that. That's no. not how they live and work. That's not their purpose in yeah. life. So we have to adapt to that. And I think the recruitment industry took a long time to kind of get to that. And so I'm really proud of that, of what, what, what we're still achieving.
1: Yeah. And, and you should be very proud of yourself because... I'm one of those recruiters where
0: I thought I could never bear to be in the same room. <laughs> I as know. A we had so many discussions on this, didn't we? <laughs>
1: yeah. But
0: you've changed your thinking I now, have. haven't you? I yeah. Have. But what I'm... was it? What was it that made you change the way you, you, you we're, viewed we're, that? We're
1: supposed to, I'm supposed to be asking No, I know, the but questions. you know that's not going to happen,
0: right? You know I'm a control freak as much as you are. So. <laughs> Hilarious.
1: What changed that? I think, um, you know, when you were. Organised that diversity event for International Women's Day in March. Mm. And I was in the room with Monty, yeah, you know, Kirst- country manager of Robert Walters, Kirsty of JAC. May, JAC. Yeah, yeah. May from Hudson, yeah. where I was formerly yeah. from. And I, I I, thought that
0: was amazing. You enjoyed it, didn't you? I loved yeah. it, I loved it. Yeah, I never got a lot out of that. Mm. Yeah,
1: I realised there's so much to be said for peer learning. Yeah. And Monty and I would never cross paths otherwise, if yeah. not for the community. That but you now
0: you've at. got a relationship where there's going to be roles that you can't work on or he can't work on. Yeah. You, you, you specialize in different areas. Yeah. Robles isn't a legal specialist recruitment firm. Yes. It isn't. right? Yeah. And so there's there's a number of areas that you don't focus on. You're yeah. never going to focus on. So it's yeah. kind of, well, why not? Yeah. Um, but I think it was about having very deep conversations with recruitment leaders to say, you've got to trust me here you got to trust that I'm not going to use your data. You're, you've got to trust me that I'm not going to advocate poaching. I'm not, I will mm. kick members off if there's yeah. any sniff of that. Um, that's not what it's about. And also just trying to educate recruitment leaders that they can just go and get the jobs themselves. We have pretty good rec to rec in Asia. Mm. You know, there is a thing called LinkedIn that they can find. Yes. <laughs> they can find those people out and communicate with yes. them themselves. So we can't stop that. Um, But we have to work harder at creating a workforce that is engaged and that people don't feel that joining Weira is going to mean that people leave. We've got to create great workplaces for them. But I must say, Andrea,
1: you definitely are a trailblazer in that regard because you started Weira, And quite frankly, other professions, like, I mean, I, I recruit lawyers. So in the legal profession, there are many competitors out there. But there are also a lot of communities. They they help one right, another out. Right. So I think the recruitment in the recruitment industry that narrative needs to change. Yeah. And you started that. So yeah. Bravo. Yeah. No. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate bravo. it. No, it's so fun. Andrea, back to you. You've um so, okay. You talked about it. You've been in Singapore for almost twenty years. You started mm, off in the UK. Virginia. I can't believe it. In the prison service. Yeah. Amazing. And then moving here and you're 13 years in Robert Walters. Yeah,
0: I know. God, I don't think anyone does that in a company now.
1: <laughs> amazing, amazing. And yeah. what actually prompted your move to Singapore? I don't think we touched on that.
0: No, I, um, when I was working in London for, for, it was then, so I left Michael Page mm-hmm. and i I had an amazing experience at Michael Page. I learned everything, fantastic training, everything. But I actually got bullied quite badly by a boss there, quite badly. And I'm a pretty tough cookie. Mm. Um, And actually, I think we had about five or six people walk out at that time. You know, it was... Yeah, it was it was it was it was pretty awful. That person was going through a breakup, and unfortunately, we we kind of had to deal with it. Um, and in terms of how that person treated us, and it just reached to a point when I thought, well, actually, there's loads of other organisations that I could. For me, I need to be happy in an environment. That's really important to me. I'm high positivity, and so I left. Um, many years later, I met up with that person in Hong Kong in a drunken bar, and she apologized. And I feel that's done. I feel like that's great. We all go through crap in our lives. For me meeting her at that time, it was it was just what it was. And that prompted me to move to Morgan McKinley. So I moved to Morgan McKinley to basically build out their whole financial services for contract with another with a couple of other colleagues. It was very new for them. So for me, I do what I love, which is business development, which is great. So I got to be able to bring in a lot of clients and candidates that I'd had for my network at Michael Page. It worked really well. And every single is that right? yeah. Yeah. So every single Friday I'd get a phone call in the morning. Of a drunken person called Mark Elwood uh, in Singapore that would be well, he wasn't drunk we well, was a little bit tipsy and he was at Penny black and every Friday for weeks and weeks he kept ringing me because I used to work with him at Michael Page right? right so we were we were really best we were best friends we were close and he kept ringing him and going you know. You know, we're still here. You know, what are we doing in Singapore? It's really hot tonight. Oh, we're going out. We're doing this. Um Not he was hot. Um, the, 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 the weather was hot. I just like I got to there. correct I got that. Um, and he he had put me in contact with my now husband. So for him, if he got me out here, got his best mate out here. I think it was more the best mate that he wanted more than me. But so that's how I I would I would still be at Morgan McKinley now if. It wasn't for the Singapore opportunity. I loved my time at Morgan McKeel. It was an absolutely fantastic organisation. And so I flew out for a weekend. I got shown the condos at Mandarin Gardens that like you could live somewhere with a swimming pool. I mean, I'm from really not, as I said before, not a well-off background. I can live somewhere where it's warm all year round. I can travel and there's a swimming pool and I get to do recruitment, like, uh, hello, no brainer, where do I sign? And so I literally just signed. Um, I was on absolute pittance. I think I was on less than a graduate salary at the time, I remember. Um, but it certainly motivated me to really turn it around. And it was a desk that was just two or three people, which, um, you know, we built that and specialised over the years, and we built that out. So I can't even remember your question now. Yeah, so that no, was it. Your, your, in terms yeah, of no, you answered Robert the question, Walters. amazing. Yeah. I,
1: I had no idea there was much Mark- Elwood, you say. Very familiar name.
0: Mark runs Elwood Consulting. Ah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay, so we're coming to the end of segment one. Who is Andrea Ross? Okay, the last question I have for you for this segment is what does success mean for you? Mm. What drives you? What keeps Andrea going? Because everyone who knows you knows you're like a machine. You're Mm. full of energy. And just now you mentioned a little bit about your purpose. You know, yeah, but, you know, could you maybe just uh, share with all your listeners what's your why?
0: Yeah, I think professionally, I think that's always an interesting question. I listen to yeah. the high performance podcast, and there's always that question: what is high performance? And um, I don't want it to sound a little bit rubbish when I say what does success mean to me. Look, professionally it means running a business that's financially stable i'm not going to i'm not going to shy away from that we you right. know singapore is an expensive place to live when you've got two kids going through international school and you're paying for it yourself you you know you've got to be able to run a business that's got integrity but it's also financially stable so the people that you hire know that there is security there that's really important for me in terms of that success and the other part for we're in the career establishment is I just want people to, you know, what the bottom line, I just want people to feel confident in the role that they have, that they've got the tools uh, to advance their career, that they can go and do cold calls. They can lead a team. They can deal with difficult conversations with tools and techniques that give them the confidence to do that. On a personal level, what does success mean to me? I think just mentally and physically, you know, um, being able to have a really great, healthy household, have great friends around me, you know, live life and to me it's all about balance success is balance it's not one over the other it's just being able to have both of them equally um working for me i suppose yeah
1: and and andrea i must say that you and i'm not just saying it because i'm 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 on your podcast <laughs> <laughs> you really inspire me to want to be a better person in the recruitment industry because i've always been more self-serving i've always just been looking out for myself my team um but recently i was on your Weera um you know what, what? Do you call it the Weaver session? You
0: were a you were keynote speaker, keynote speaker and then yes. you also contributed on the um, break the bias. And so yes. having that interaction you're able to impart more to others where i'd say a couple of years ago if i said to you i want you to impart your experience to your yeah. competitors you would have said well you know you can go and take a hike andrew yeah. Yeah, there's <laughs> absolutely no way i'm gonna do that
1: no. right you've never have done no, that right? i would never yeah. but after doing it i realized there's so much more that i take away you know it's not just me giving out my trade
0: secrets yeah what way yeah. what were the key you're gonna i am yeah. gonna ask you questions as well <laughs> what was it for you to what did you take away what was kind of the key thing for you I,
1: I didn't realise people would be interested to listen to me talk, to right. be honest. Right. And when I went for your keynote event, I prepared like, okay, maybe I'll just speak for 20 minutes. I didn't expect to speak for almost fifty yeah. minutes. Yeah, we had to cut the Q&A. No, yes. we, had to, we
0: had to cut the uh, breakout rooms, didn't we? Yes, we had yeah. to cut that out. And
1: yeah. um, I received so many messages from the people who attended it. I mean, people in Kuala Lumpur, even. Yeah, you know? that's So really nice. I think that impact yeah. is something, because if tomorrow... I were to leave this world, you know, whatever money is in the bank account, okay, I I leave it for my kids, of course, but there is a much more lasting legacy. legacy?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. If you feel that you're in this world, not just for yourself, I think that that speaks. And you are clearly falling into that category because when I started my podcast, you offered help selflessly. And I really felt like for you, it was not like, oh, I'm going to do this for Shulin and therefore Shulin will do something back for me. It wasn't like that. Yeah, it was interesting because I think
0: yeah. when I know when we went through that sort of WhatsApps and stuff. Yeah. And I think sometimes when people enter a relationship with me, especially in Asia, they think there's a, there's a yes. reason for it. Like I, there's I, an ulterior motive. I think you felt probably the early stage like, what? why does she want? And why like, is, why say, is she so nice? Can I buy you cocktails? Can I and I was like, no, I don't, I don't need anything. I just want you to <laughs> run a really great podcast. It's really important for me to know yeah that I could have helped and that if you if you have that cuz I don't want you to be nervous running a podcast I want you yeah. to have all the skills I had to YouTube it I had to you know reach out to people in the US on how to run a podcast I had no I how to run it so I didn't want you to waste time on it like yes. I did just here's, here's the equipment this is what you need to do blah 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 blah. and I, I enjoyed it thank you so I liked much it, it was Andrea. great it was great fun
1: so yes we now have greater insight as to who Andrea Ross is I'm sure there are a lot more questions but we have to move on to segment two go for it yes leadership lessons and I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'll ask you a bit of a loaded question mm. Andrea could you share with us how a failure set you up for success later so basically, I'm asking you, what's a favorite one? failure of yours,
0: <laughs> and how did you turn turn that around? You, you know, I le- you know I led <laughs> Robert Walters here for three offices, so there's quite a lot of failures <laughs> along the way I can say. Uh-huh. Now, I think I think for me, I had to really think about this because I always I really struggled. I actually, actually had to ask my husband, "Can we can we work? You know, can I talk this one through?" Because I yes. actually was a little bit stumbled on it because mm. I personally don't like the word failure. I kind of think I, if I looked at it as challenge, then maybe that would be a bit different, but mm-hmm. I think one that sticks out now that's had an impact to the role I do currently is when I was when I was going on to the topic that we just had before about competitors. I would be awful if people left to go to a competitor, at Rob Waters. I wouldn't talk to them again. They could have worked with me for years. I would literally wouldn't talk to them again. I'd encourage wow. others not to talk to them. I wouldn't want them going out with them. Don't want them socialising with them on Facebook. I just they were kind of like dead to me. And it was that kind of culture at that time. It's kind of, no, they're going somewhere else. They're going to steal your clients. Some people did steal stuff, right? They stole databases. And that really, I suppose that just goes back to that kind of, I have that loyalty and I want people to trust that. And it's okay to move somewhere else. But if you take stuff, that's it. You're kind of, you're done for me. That trust is gone. And so I was brutal. Mm. I mean, brutal. Mm. So... And now, when I look at that, how the, brutal! I mean, I, well, it's brutal. I just wouldn't talk to people. I saw them in a the pub, I'd just be mm. like that. I just, I'd be awful. And you know, now, fast forward, I run a community-led <laughs> recruitment team group, which is crazy. And I think people in my life now, if I look at recruitment firms like Connexus or Formative Search, um, when I look at them and how they treat their competitors, is it's a different world. Mm. You know, they go out with them, they socialise with them, they they help each other to get you know, new offices, they 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 talk to each other, you know, the new recruitment firms setting up over the years. And so they, they leverage off each other's knowledge. Mm. So I think it's, that would be my biggest failure is to have probably treated people pretty, pretty awful when they left, which was, it's their choice. And it's good that they should go on and do wonderful things. Mm. Um But it's not uncommon though, what you did, Andrea, because uh, I... When I left Hudson, it was like I was the enemy instantly. I know. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's not a nice way to treat people. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest regret I ever have. Um, but now, you know, I self-reflected on that. I run mm. a community-led now. But I, I suppose it gives me empathy when mm. I speak to a leader that says, I'm nervous about my ah. group joining Weera mm. I get it. But we have to just put it aside. It's not about a playground for people to be poached. It's a playground for development, for mentoring for create, you know, getting good resources, it's yeah. not, you know, it's not about just people in the same room that they could, they could move. Yeah. We got to get, we got to get away from that.
1: So what I'm hearing from you is that you realise it's not a zero sum game. Yeah. It's not like all or nothing, you can still have a relationship with someone who's left the organisation. Absolutely. And, you know, who knows? What will happen after that? Yeah, I mean,
0: I'm completely different. When when I talked to Lindsay, my colleague now, I said, look, if you're ever at the point point you're not happy, you want to do something else, just talk to me.
1: Yes. You
0: know, I will do as much as I can to develop you, that give you the skills to go and do other stuff. Don't expect you to be with me for like 13 years. I don't know what I'm going to do in 13 years. (laughs) Hopefully I'm still alive in 13 years. But, (laughs) you know, I think we just have to, I think we just have to be really careful the role we have as... Owners as leaders and how we and how we look after those people is Mm. really really important. Yeah.
1: So actually, you did turn your failure. I I suppose okay. Instead of saying failure, I know I don't like the word failure myself. I I read somewhere you either succeed or you learn. So you did learn from past mistakes. Definitely. For sure. Okay, and as we all know, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there are all recruiters, recruitment is one of the hardest jobs in the world. It's not an easy path. And what's even more challenging is when you're managing a team whilst recruiting for your clients. And Andrea, you're such an experienced recruiter and manager. Could you share with your listeners what's the best and also the worst thing about managing a team whilst you're a billing manager? So managing Mm. a team as a recruiter, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I have up-to-date knowledge of this because I work with a lot of leaders or emerging ones and so can hear their challenges. But I suppose I'll take it from their own experiences and mine. I mean, I think leadership is, is, you know, it's like being a parent, isn't it? It's like you, you know, you decide to be one. Hopefully, it's not an accident. Um, You decide to be a parent and you're on it 24 seven. You know, you're you're a lead, you're a parent 24 seven, you're a leader 24 seven, right? There are times that you've got to react. yeah? Yeah. So, those are the best things about being a leader. I think the most important thing is you've got to decide you want to be one. Right, don't take it because your bosses said it. it's a good idea. Is I think right. you got to feel. I think take a risk. Sometimes people. I remember Wendy Hang at Rob Waters never wanted to lead. She's like, no, I don't want to lead. I want to continue billing. And now she moved into it, probably forced in the early stages. But now she loves it and she can't see anything different than doing that. And so sometimes we have to get people to have a leap of faith to do leadership because you can hear bad stories of it in recruitment because people don't want to take away their revenues. But it is a joy in the respect that. Um, you know, you're able to develop a team, you're able to identify talents in the team, you know, how they can collaborate with each other, you know, how are they similar? How are they different? You know, where are the collaboration opportunities? You know, you can, you're always better together than trying to breed individual people, right? You know, Um, and I think that's kind of an exciting bit about recruitment is that you decide kind of who should be on the bus and who shouldn't. That's exciting. Who should be on the bus? Who should we move off the bus? Who can we move seats with? right because that's kind of an exciting bit when you say what's the best thing about like kind energy. of kind of the the leadership i think it's yeah. a pat lenciani um good Amazing. to great book in that mm. um i think one thing that people sometimes miss out when it comes to managing a team what the best bit is just having fun yeah banter laughter cheekiness silliness someone's had a bad day make them laugh just you know just throw balls around when you're not doing your your core stuff just have fun yeah because life is about you know Making it, you know, life is about just, you know, oh God, I can't even get my words out. It's not all about just making the revenue. We've yeah. got to have breaks in those days. We've got to, you know, celebrate success. Yeah. You know, sometimes people just constantly chase that number, but we've also got to celebrate the little successes. um I think when when we're looking at what are the worst things about manager team, God, there's bloody loads, isn't there? Um, <laughs> I think it's really hard. It's like, as I said, being a parent. It's really hard trying to juggle it, isn't it? I mean, you know, this is what you're yeah. doing now, trying to make time for your kids, for your husband, for your friends, for grandma, for um, the people in your office, your yeah. clients. You can. It's a lot of roles. It's a lot yeah. of time when you think about that. So you've got to really segregate your time. Some people are better at being able to structure that than others. You know, mm-hmm. some struggle with putting those roles and how important they are. One goes over the other. You know, we've talked about this before in in, in your podcast with with someone else in the market. Um, I think the hardest thing about managing team is turnover, is yeah. is attracting talent, is mm. being able to retain them, attract them. Mm. I don't think the recruitment industry has got, got it right yet. You know, um, everyone's still struggling on what are the right people for the profiles, um, how long should we keep hold of people, their onboarding isn't always fantastic, training mm. isn't always fantastic, and so it's still not as sophisticated as maybe the corporates. Yeah. And I think that does kind of make them suffer a little bit. It's
1: ironic, isn't it? We're in the recruitment industry, but we're one of the worst people when it comes to yeah. recruiting for ourselves. Yeah,
0: definitely. I mm. think it's just putting the money in the right places. Like mm. you putting the money on a on a trip on a boat or putting the money into an incentive trip. Well, that's all well and good, but it doesn't keep people. Yeah. Those are not the reasons why people stay. People, you know... Um, People stay because their opinions are heard. People stay because there's a career path. People stay because they're inspired by their boss. People stay because they work around really quality people. This is why mm. people stay. It doesn't say in those sort of elements of engagement that it's an incentive trip on a cruise as much yeah. as it's wonderful. and yeah. We love that. It doesn't keep us there, not yeah. for long. So I think it's just understanding those elements of engagement because then you can keep the great people that you have. Yeah, I think those are my love top that. ones. Yeah. I love that. So in sticking to the
1: best and worst, mm. let's hear from you. And because you, you yourself, you dish out advice, you coach people, um, let's hear from you what's the best and also the worst piece
0: of advice you've ever heard been gi- given to a rookie recruiter hey listeners time for you to grab a cuppa or maybe a chance to catch your breath on your morning run now whilst you're doing that I want to share with you one of our new training programs for 2022 so if you're a recruitment firm and you have some new starters joining and you're really struggling to put time aside to get them up and running then add two week bite-sized e strengths onboarding program may be just what you're looking for we will get your new starters become really familiar with your values your mission your purpose your structure what your commissions look like your rituals and so that we will get them up and running and productive as quickly as possible so if you're interested to hear more about that reach out for a discussion The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the new breed tech platform used by 15,000 recruiters worldwide. Vincere is the secret weapon for progressive recruitment firms. It provides recruiters with everything they need to scale from CRM slash ATS through to online timesheets, websites, and analytics. A true all-in-one growth platform built by recruiters for recruiters. Learn more about Vinnie's story on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast, if you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to accelerate growth, visit vincere.io/talenttalkasia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. It's really hard this one. I think the best one <laughs> someone told me um, at Michael Page was, "Every meeting is impossible." It, sorry, every meeting is important, not impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, what kind of advice that? <laughs> That's a crap piece of advice, Andrea. No, the best piece of advice is every meeting is important. Leave a good impression, make an effort, build a relationship. And that has always stuck with me. Like, I think sometimes people have that tendency. Um, anyone in life, it's not just about recruitment. I think, oh, you know, I'll just go into this meeting. I won't prepare for it. I'm not going to get anything out of this. But I always, I love an interaction with someone. It could be a little auntie downstairs doing, you know, cleaning the floor. It could be anyone. I don't care. For me, it's just about people, right? And I think if you can be curious about people, you get to get under the bonnet of people. Um, Whether you want it to be transactional or not, it's always going to help you in your life. That's my best piece of advice about every meeting is important. Worse, you know what? I couldn't answer it. What? I don't I honestly don't I don't I couldn't think of anything that someone's given I've mm. given or I mean I'm not obviously going to say on my podcast I've given yeah. someone the worst piece of advice <laughs> um I've perhaps I think one time I said to a recruiter that interviewed with me you're never gonna she was I just I don't know why I just didn't get on well with her I think she was pushing my buttons and she she wanted to be a recruitment consultant and I said like I just I just honestly just don't feel you've got the skills to be one. You know, Mm. I think we're going to struggle to bring on board. Mm. Um, And I think she went on to do TA and did quite well in. She didn't do recruitment, she went on to do TA and she's quite successful in it. (laughs) So I sort of kicked myself that maybe I shouldn't be so biased early on in an interview. That was not my good piece of advice. Oh, wow. I
1: did the same thing once. Yeah, yeah. you feel feel pretty rubbish after that. (laughs) And, um, okay, I mean, you've shared a lot so far. Andrea, could you share a little bit more about, you know, what has happened in your life, in your journey that shaped who you are today? So, are there any particular incidences that you can pinpoint to? Because you're you're very, you're a force of nature. You know, you're inspiring and you're a loving mom to your two sons and your loving wife. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of people out there they look at you on social media and they're like, wow, you know, how does Andrew find time to do everything? Hmm. So what, yeah, can you share a bit more about what's shaped? Help yeah, you. I spoke.
0: I mean, look, mm. I, I'm certainly not going to make this podcast be a depressing one. Look, I've I've had cancer a couple of times. I've had it three times, but two oh. of them two of them are serious ones. Wow! And so when I was at when I was at Robert Walters, um, I was a few years in managing a team, in financial services at the time. You know, I had a sarcoma tumor on my neck. Like, I had a little nodule on my neck. I I think I've had it for years, to be honest. I never really noticed. And so. Um, sarcomas are really rare tumors just really rare and yeah. so the diagnosis here was kind of incorrect so i went home and spent about 4 months without my 2 year old son it was hell i'm not mm. going to change it was absolute hell my husband looked after jack my then 2 year old who's now almost 18 wow. um and i had radiation treatment um, i had it removed i had a neck dissection if anyone if next time you see me guys all the listeners out there have a look at my neck it's 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 covered up sometimes i cover it with makeup but only if I feel I'm conscious of it. But most of the time I don't. I still, you know, I used to have long hair to cover it. I went to short because I actually feel it's my story. Um, and so I have this fantastic Frankenstein um uh, scar that goes all the way from my neck all the oh. way around it's massive I've um, never noticed
1: it actually yeah. I
0: actually had a plastic surgeon that did boob jobs so the plastic surgeon was amazing and yeah. so thankfully for me I should have got a boob job at the same time but anyway, <laughs> I didn't think of that at the time um, and so yeah. I had that done so I yeah. think that sort of shaped my years and then sort of fast forward Ten years when I was in Germany, because of probably the radiation treatment I had with the first cancer, I got thyroid cancer when I left Robert sure. Waters. So I think I think you know Robert was a full on career. I think it probably probably moved to Germany and kind of my body was like oh my god take a break and so I had another neck dissection the other side so Jeez. I literally it kind of like one good thing it joins up the scars wow. like they join up <laughs> so it is wow. pretty, it's, it's pretty it's pretty full on so wow. why is what does it shape me um, look I don't I'm high positivity so yeah of course there's dark days there's, there's a few tears but it it certainly never consumed me I didn't yeah. want it to consume me yeah. um, whether I had a week a month a year 10 years 50 years I was going to make the most of it and mm-hmm. so for me it's all about legacy it's always that it gets me up earlier in the morning it makes mm. me work harder it makes me produce better training courses better service because I want something to leave I don't and I suppose yeah. would I change that yeah absolutely I don't I've never have wanted it I, I can never look and go oh I'm glad cancer came in my life and no I'm not I bloody hate it it's yeah. an absolute shit of a disease um but has it made me live life a little bit better? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I changed all the, I relooked at the relationships around me. Uh, my husband and I really did sort of sit down and go, who makes us positive? Who lifts us up? Who do we mm. want to be around? And we really had a bit of a shift when we when we came back to Singapore. Oh. We re-looked at what was important to us. And so that's how we live our life. We are very social creatures. My husband and I, we have parties we and it's very much like the how I have it with my client relationships it's really yeah. trusted reciprocal fun relationships yeah. That's yeah. so
1: powerful, Andrea. I never knew this. <laughs> I never knew this. You it's just so thought, Jesus, so what's punched. going
0: on with a craggy neck?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I never, never, ever realised. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, so I think that's
0: sometimes when people look at LinkedIn, right? And I think we have to really be careful not to judge people on LinkedIn. Totally. Like we, you know, when you see someone going, oh, I've just done this. And they go, oh, God, I bet she's always been, she's always, it's all come easy to her. And I think you never know anyone's backstory. Totally. And that's why I think for recruiters, it's when you're going into client calls, cold calls, client meetings. Yeah. Don't assume that person, that client on the other end of the de- the other side of the desk, looking swanky, has got it all, cu- you know, cut exactly. out for them. You don't exactly. know their stories. so be yeah. curious. Um, get under the bonnet of people because yeah. everyone's life stories, whatever it is, doesn't have to be as dramatic as mine, are interesting. Everyone's interesting. Everyone's got a, everyone's <sighs> got a story to tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I feel so deeply moved by your story, Andrea, because you're so positive. And now I know why you... I would say, you, you know... How do you... What's the word? Carpe diem? You're yeah. You're just always seizing the day. Absolutely. And you're never... You're non-stop and you make people... You lift people up, for sure. Oh, thank you. you. Know? That's very nice to say. It Thanks. is. It is the truth, Andrea. Wow. I was not expecting that answer. Okay. So, Andrea, I just want to acknowledge you for sharing that and, you know, showing that vulnerable side of you before we move on to the next question. And I'm sure you've touched many lives out there. You will continue to touch many lives. Okay, so moving on, Andrea, to the next question. In the ever-changing landscape of recruitment and training, how do you ensure, ensure you keep yourself current and also because you're working for yourself, how do you make sure you are taking on the feedback for yourself to grow and for
0: your business to thrive? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I think same, same as what you do. Chuling and, and, and other people in the market is, you know, big on podcasts, listening to them, um, mm-hmm. audible, audible books or, you know, I have a huge library of kind of self-reading books that I, I, you know, I take time on a Friday afternoon if I'm not at my lovely wine club that I've joined um, and I read and I just try and make sure that I can upskill because I think there's a lot of yes. business model, there's new fresh ideas, there's new keynote speakers coming out, producing great content that we want leaders, we want recruiters, we want TAs, HRs to be aware of. And so I think I they don't have time to do that. I have to make the time to be mm. able to deliver that to them. And I think that's kind of reason why I shifted a lot moving the business to have e-learning services was you can you can present more content in a style that is better for people now Mm. they don't want to have to go to a room for a day and do training sometimes and have the time or you can only deliver a certain amount of content the learning if it's blended with with kind of virtual training it allows more content to get across it allows the person to sit at home and let that learning get embedded so that's kind of Mm. um how i found sort of making myself current is being aware of how people's learning has changed Mm. and their environment has changed they're not always in the office all the time um I also think like like yourself shielding is upskilling. You know, yeah. I had a client in January in December say I want you to fly to where was it Thailand for a leadership retreat. I want to look I want to go over this culture map and I thought like, I have no idea about this culture map. It was some some kind of tool that I had no idea what it was. Uh-huh. And so in between that time I just did the masterclass, didn't it? You know, I, mm. it was a ridiculous hour in the morning. It was a US masterclass. It was like five o'clock in the morning. It killed me. <laughs> Lots of espressos. But for me, it's just keep yourself current. If you've got an organisation or a client that you want to do business with and there's a tool that they want to get better at yeah. and you may not know it, learn it. Like, mm. who, you know, Great. Mm. And I think it's just going that kind of extra mile. You know, if you're a recruiter or a TA and you're in, you've just, you know, maybe you're a recruiter and just move to a TA role and you're working in one organisation, mm. understand their product, understand their service, yeah. spend a bit longer with the hiring manager, see if they've got time to have a coffee or a lunch and just get to know what that is so that mm. you just put yourself in a better position. For me, everything's about preparation. Yeah. It's just making sure that you put yourself in the right light and, you, you know, that you just prepare, you read, you listen. Um, mm. I think those are kind of, and I also find I have woo, so woo and relater in my Clifton Strengths top 10. Mm. And so I love new people and I love existing relationships. And I do a lot of my learning and upskilling through people. Mm. So if I had a problem, I'd go, right, Shelin, this is going on. What's happening? I'd ring Kirsty at yeah. JC. i ring Paul Endicott, Paul Endicott at Gritsearch. I, I ring a lot. <laughs> well, I need to think of a different name for this. What do you think? And he's very creative and he's mm. very, um, uh, generous with his time and mm. he would just say, and, I, and and even though he's a client, it's a reciprocal, trusted relationship that he gives yeah. me what I need and obviously he's my client, but I really appreciate that it's not a hierarchical relationship mm. where it's kind of, I can't reach out yeah. and ask their opinion. So yeah. I'm, I I love that environment yeah. within, within within Asia. So yeah. that's kind of how I keep myself current. That would yeah, be the and I, I mean,
1: I, I think just now you mentioned e-learning and I've benefited from that. My team has benefited from that. Yeah. And I mean, that's, a game changer for yeah. a lot of recruiters. I like what you said just now about how they don't have time, so you have to make time to make sure yeah. you deliver the content yeah. to them. Yeah, so it's that's, a lot. That's, that's yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. I
0: mean, you know, mm. you're big <laughs> on pod. You like, you know, you run your own yes. podcast. You listen to podcasts because yes. you want to that that upskills you in terms yeah. of you as a host. But if you're a recruiter or a TA, you you can't just rely on the in-house training, right? Mm. You can't just rely on that manager or uh, in the office to give you the one-on-one. It's not enough yes. to be a great recruiter. It's not. You have to compliment it with so many things. Yes. It's about going to keynote events. It's saying, yeah. "Hey, I saw Xu Ling at a keynote event. I wonder if she'd have a coffee with me." It's been bloody ballsy. Mm. You know, when I get a text message to say, "Andrew, I, you know, can I can I just catch up?" Or, you know, I, you know, I will make that time for people, and I think. You've got to be ballsy if you really want to get ahead within the recruitment and TA industry. You've got to start ahead. Yes, got to be ballsy. Mm. I mean,
1: the two of us are ballsy women, I would like to say. Yes,
0: indeed. <laughs> okay,
1: so we're moving on to the third segment. Mm. Very exciting. Yep. Recruitment industry insights and forecasts from Andrea. And okay, it actually ties in quite nicely to what you were just saying. So you coach recruiters, recruitment firm owners, talent acquisition people. What makes some successful and some less so? Mm. What are some trends or patterns you've discerned? You know, I, I mean, you mentioned about, you know, uh, people taking the time to learn. But what are some ingredients that makes one yeah. more successful?
0: Yeah, I, I, I have sort of a set. Amount, yeah. a set sort of list, I suppose, in terms of themes. Let's say themes. um mm. So structure. I think for a, you know for someone to be successful as a recruiter or tier, they've got to have structure. It can't just be ad hoc. They have to have ded- dedicated time to achieve their time their their tasks. Because mm. we all know within you know if you're doing sourcing or screening, they're kind of little modules of area of, of of tasks that you need to do. You can't just kind of throw them in on a day and hope you're gonna you're gonna hit your goals. So really being disciplined at executing those tasks. And if you're not a particularly structured person, which some aren't, some are high adaptability, right, are talents. You've got to be able to get this, you know, learn how to be structured. You know, you do, you just have, even if you just bring, introduce a little bit of it in your, in your week and try and build on that, um, and I think structure is kind of the biggest one for me. Mm-hmm. The next one would be quality orientation. Um, you know how a recruiter or a TA how they're asking questions to talent, how they are evaluating them, how they brief their candidate before an interview. You know what leads to good outcomes. So, believe it or not, one one area, one part of um, a, a recruiter learning how to interview, that's the one training course that is not that popular. Mm. Where all the training courses are business development client stuff yeah you know learning how to get a job brief yeah. or you know a little bit of can kind of interview but not not dedicated on its own to me it's the most important skill to master how to interview um you know manage expectations evaluate talent know how to sell an opportunity account. And to me that interview is so damn important mm. so I think having that ori- that quality orientation in an interview to really kind of get the real um uh, the skills, capabilities, the motivations. Yeah, what I like to use is the under the bonnet. So that I think yes. quality, just going that extra mile. Yeah, um, I agree. Oh, by the way, Andrea Ross. Andrea
1: Ross. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you're so, oh, you're so formal. The me. <laughs> I agree, Andrea. Oh, that's maybe uh, that took that. <laughs> um, no, I was just saying that the kind of questions you ask, intelligent questions, because a lot of yeah. recruiters they go into an interview with a candidate and they just ask the the usual Bulk questions. Standard, right? Yes, Which but deep, the client doesn't want to hear. Deeper, yeah. You know, digging deeper exactly. into their motivations.
0: Yeah, that's a skill. It is a you skill, have to but, it, and but 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 yeah. but it's not what recruitment firms are asking for. Yes. So that's to me. That's I find it interesting. Uh, I think it has to change because yeah. I think that if you're looking at just business development or all those kind of areas. Yes, this market, it's not clients that you need, it's candidates. Mm. And it but it always will be candidates, right? I know we sort of put a lot of emphasis on the relationships with clients, but clients will buy off you if you have the right candidates. You yeah. so just have to put more emphasis on mm. the skills that have been able to attract them and and keep them. Yeah. The next one is a desire to be better. I mean I work mm. with a number of recruiters across the region and one thing that pops up is this desire. There's just this um this capability of, you know, being able to ask for feedback, open to feedback, you know, willing to be vulnerable and say, look, you know, how can I, how can I do that better? I know you're very big on that. Um, And it's something that does not come up often with people because they don't necessarily want to hear the feedback. Um, So it's, I think people that do really well, that are high performers, um, whether it's leaders or not, is this desire to be better, you know, open to feedback, growth mindset, competitive, um, something to prove to themselves. Like there's They want to prove to themselves or others around them. There's this kind of something driving them a little bit more. Mm. Um, And also just being aware of what's around the corner. You know, if they realise, okay, one part of my role may become non-existent over time. We've got bots coming in, right? There's going to be elements of that we don't need. Then how are you upskilling yourselves in the areas that are always going to be important, right? Mm. You know, in terms of maybe how you question being a better coach, teaching yourselves how to be a good coach and and get get under the bonnet of people a bit more. The other one's relationship building, you know, meeting people for coffees and lunches and dinners and putting yourself out and going for walks with them, like whatever, doing what it takes, you know, picking them up at the airport if they've just come back from a trip, Take going the extra mile, get to know them. You know, a client or a candidate doesn't just want to talk about, well, clients certainly don't want to talk about work the entire hour of a discussion. Of course they don't, Jesus Shoot me now. Yeah. You know, they have right. you know, it's not all about hiring. Yeah. You know, if you've got a flustered woman or man, come and sit i I don't know why I said a flustered woman, that was a bit sexist, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> not no. not particularly No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know, if you're speaking doing a cold call, you've got someone flustered on the other end, you know, take some time before you launch into a hello, my name's Andrea Roberts from from Robert Waters. You know, yeah. first of all, just say, look, hi, my name's Andrew just get an impression over the phone that things aren't going well you're okay like just check in with them right like just being human to that i think so i think that relationship building and putting yourself out don't rely on emails and whatsapps yes it's you know people it sometimes works for some markets but i'm not a big believer on it exercise Mm. exercise is a key yes Um, how often do you exercise um, I probably do two or three times a week. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I have a yoga. I have a lady that comes around and does yoga on a Thursday with me. I'm absolutely rubbish. I mean, Jesus, I can't do a damn thing. It's. I think my dog does a better downward dog than, than I do, to be honest. Hilarious. <laughs> it's not a good look. But um, what I'm saying from the exercise thing, it's not about so much me. It's about when I work with really high-performing people and you can get a group of... Mm leaders or a group of recruiters or TAs and you can just see Mm. this odd person that just has this little extra. Yeah. And they're the one that gets up at five o'clock in the morning Mm. every day, goes to the gym or is started a boxing class or is learning how to be a yoga instructor whilst they're doing their job. There's this this kind of the endorphin rush, the consistency, the responsibility that just gives them that extra push for the day edge yeah it is that little edge Mm -hmm. um and I think exercise just seems to be a a thread that runs through yeah um for successful leaders um I think it is just like we talked about before having the right people around them identifying their strengths um knowing what their non-talents are and trying to complement that with people putting other people on the bus that can that can complement that Giving staff development opportunities. Mm. I think that's the biggest one is stretching mm. them. You know, don't give them the crap tasks, give them the ones that's actually going to take them out of their comfort zone. Yeah. You, know, put, you know, like we talked about Wendy before going into leadership is stretching her to be able to want to go and do something that she may have thought, oh, it's not really for me. Um, and taking that risk on people. Um, you know, building a company that can tick along without you, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. having just core, core purpose and core values. Yeah. I think that's kind of my ingredients, I'd say. That's so much. There's so much to
1: unpack there. Yeah, those are my
0: top ones, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm going to listen to this and take notes. And okay, so Andrea, Gallup Strengths, what made you choose to adopt that instead of the other diagnostic tools in the market? What, mm. in your view, makes it so powerful, accurate? Why is it your go-to per- versus, you know, other diagnostic? Yeah, tools God, there's
0: loads out there, isn't there? Mm. I mean, if anyone, if a client comes to you and says, oh, you know, we're going to use this diagnostic, it could be like five or six. There's just so many of them. There's DISC, there's my Briggs, there's yep. Clifton Strengths. It's just, there's just, there's so many. Hugs, H- Hogan, God. Um, I When I first started the career I I... Um, I certified in every single one of them. Oh dear God. And the only two that I really landed on that I felt were beneficial to the industry that was memorable, that you could use other than just for personality, you could use it for onboarding, you could use it for um, you know, looking at bias, interviewing was, was disc and Clifton Strengths. Mm. Disc is great in that it's just four quadrants, right? So if anyone's familiar with disc, it's a, it's basically a tool to identify someone's behavioral tendencies, their personalities. Mm. They fit in four quadrants. So it's very simple. So if you're just introducing a diagnostic to a small team, DISC is great. It's good for communication effectiveness, it's good for conflict, it's good if you want to get them to, if they're working with clients, you want them to kind of really simply see someone's personality. Really simple, great. But for me, it wasn't deep enough when you're working with complex teams. It wasn't deep enough when you're working with a team that needs to understand what their blind spots are, you want to know how they build relationships as a team or as an individual you want to know how they get stuff done, how they influence others is this some you know is this a team that prefers to do business with existing clients or are they a team that loves to meet new people? There's all different talents and so Clifton's strengths for me to be certified in it one it was harder to get certified in it than disk, which again tells you a little bit more about kind of how sophisticated the tool is. But it's something that I introduced to the recruitment industry two years ago, and you'll notice people's um, LinkedIn profiles have changed. They're, they're they're demonstrating what their talents are and yeah. what that means to them. So there's a vocabulary now around an individual's recruiter style. So mm. if a recruit if a client asks them, well, you know, why should I use you over someone else? They can say, well, look, I have, you know, I have high responsibility. I take a lot of ownership about what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not someone that is just going to take your role you're never here from me again for me follow through is really important and so they're able to kind of demonstrate in these four str- domains which is influencing executing strategic thinking and which one have I which one have I missed Uh
1: influencing executing and strategic
0: thinking strategic and relationship building. building there we go uh, yes. all four relationship. Yep. so by having talents within those four you're able to identify it increases your own self-awareness increases the team so for me it was just a no-brainer I'm really passionate about it I can hear people's talents coming out in their conversations I don't want to produce training courses that are robotic training courses that everyone else does and so you're sending off a recruiter or a TA into the market to be a robot and be like everybody else that's no fun we're not robots. We all have our own, our own unique talents. It's like a, it's like a fingerprint, right? Mm. So if someone's great analytically or someone's great with communication or someone's really strategic or someone's really good with people, they need to know that. They, we need to be able to put them in the right jobs. We need to, everyone to know who those are and know those talents. And I did not want to be producing a train. I didn't want to be running a training business that was not personalized. Mm. I think that's the difference. That's why yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. That.
1: I mean, I, I benefited from... I mean, yeah, you like it, don't you? I, I would say that it wasn't a surprise to find out some of my strengths in yeah. the top five. Yeah. Uh, but there were others in my top 10, which I was like, oh yeah, I didn't realise I had yeah. those. And my my colleagues as well, my teammates yeah. loved
0: it. But it's not it's not just about knowing it, right? It's yeah. like, what do I do with it? What, like,
1: uh, yes, how you flex it. How you because flex you have a strength it, strength exactly. And you
0: don't go to the gym often enough. Exactly. Then it, it, it doesn't... Exactly. So yeah. as soon as you work in your strength zone, mm. like you've got communication, yes. right? And so it's no... It's no wonder that you're good at doing a podcast, right? Because you're able to be verbally expressive. Now, if you never harnessed that, you never set up a podcast, you never mm. worked in a job where you spoke to people, that would be unharnessed, and it, and, and it yeah. wouldn't, and there'd be a little bit of no joy in your life yes. because of that.
1: That's true. The
0: fact that now you you just you know you're in a role, and now you've you've stretched yourself, you've flexed yourself by moving into doing the podcast. Mm. So when you're in that, you're in this flow. You know, yes. you know you know when you're in it because, like now, we're enjoying ourselves, yes. right? This yeah. isn't kind of we're not nervous, we're not. No. Um, thinking about the time, we're just in the conversation because we've got a talent that's communication. Yeah. And so, one thing with the Clifton strengths is it's saying get in the flow, know what those talents are, yeah. so you use them more mm. because that's when you're always going to be better. You're in the flow, you're high performance. Mm. But also know what your non-talents are. Yeah. Right? You know, I, I don't have analytical. It's it's I, I make sure that I have people around me that I. Uh, It's a non-talent for me. It's the bottom of my report. I will make sure that when I make decisions, I go to the people that are analytical. My husband's highly analytical. Like your husband's analytical. Brian's analytical, right? So you find those people in your life that you can bounce off that idea and just make sure that your decision-making is balanced and it isn't all purely kind of relationship building Mm -hmm. or whatever, right? And not making rash decisions. So I think what the diagnostic does for is it just allows you to be better. Yeah. Yeah. So... Just one thing you
1: mentioned, because,
0: you know, my teammates,
1: myself included, we immediately went to look at our last 10 strength, yeah, very uh, I natural. Mean our weakness areas. Yeah. And then, inevitably, I feel a bit lousy about myself. I'm like, oh, why didn't I have that high up, yeah. you know? So, I think that's some people's tendency. How how do you coach people to actually focus more yeah, on the
0: strength? Yeah, I, so. I, I find that. when I, mean, I it is interesting. People yeah. do always go to... And that's a whole kind of philosophy around Clifton Strengths. It's saying we're not we don't we're not we don't wanna talk about the weaknesses. We actually want to be talking about what you're great at. Mm. And and it's really sort of putting that on the head for corporates when they do their um performance reviews is we spend so much talk more time on how do we should how we should be developing the area they're not good at but why they're never going to be good at those focus mm. on the ones that they're really good at right and put them mm. into jobs and, and roles that they are going to be good at what i tend to say is look that it's not to say that you don't have some you know you have some capabilities in there of course we're all part of every one of those talents but don't spend so much time trying to change that. Try and find complementary partners in your life. Mm. You know, husband, partner, friend at work, whatever, you know, client even, right? Yeah. Knowing that, okay, they're really good at that. I'm not, but I need it in my role. You yes. may need that. I, empathy is really bottom for me, Yeah. which shocks people. I think yeah. everyone always, but I think we always have to think about our relationship with those talents. We seem to mm. think to be a great leader or to be a great Professional, we need to have empathy. Yeah, of course, of course we do. But it doesn't mean we can't use other talents in our top mm. ten. Yeah, you know, we have relator, which means we're a good listener. We um, uh, we build genuine, trusted relationships. Okay, mm. there's an element of that in empathy. Yeah. Okay, I don't. I'm not going to cry or well up when someone shows me emotion maybe really close people in my life Mm -hmm. but I would be more practical with them like I'm sorry you're upset what can I do I'll be there to help that's my Mm -hmm. developer coming in or my relator coming in so we have to just have a have a different relationship with those non-talents and look at them and don't think why is that why do I think that's what makes someone successful is that Mm -hmm. some is that the media portraying that that we should be because I think woo is a talent that everyone in a sales role thinks they should have I have this battle with the recruitment industry with the woo talent. Why haven't I got woo? You know, I've got to meet people. I've got to be extrovert. I so said some of the most fantastic, talented, exceptionally great recruitments and recruitment leaders do not have woo. They are not in- and woo. they're introverts. I, I don't have yeah, woo. They're completely yeah. introverts. Yeah, and they're highly analytical. So the mm. pro- so it's it's just be it's just knowing who you are. Yeah. So yeah. Interesting. Telling people not to look but interesting
1: on. you talk about your husband and my husband because they are completely opposite of us. So are you suggesting that if someone out there is listening and you know going out on a Tinder date, they should also get them to do a get-up stretching? Yeah, maybe. Maybe <laughs> I should
0: be part of Tinder. No, I've got to correct it. My husband is, is definitely not opposite of me. If you met my husband, you would... Oh my God. No. Yeah, it's, okay, like, I haven't could, met him. I, I want get to a word in edgeways with him. As, you know, he's, uh, he's actually got a louder laugh than me. Oh, he wow, he denies it, him. But, he, but he has. Yeah, okay. So,
1: Andrea, can you share with us your forecast... You know, gaze into your crystal ball. Mm -hmm. What's the future like for recruiters, especially in Asia? Is there something that we we
0: recruiters should do more of
1: Mm. or less
0: of or not at all? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think more of, I think, is just continually upskill. Take advantage of when you're offered training, you know, internally, externally. Don't treat it as a hindrance. I think that's kind of my biggest frustration when sometimes the clients put all their money into putting people on training courses, and you see mm. someone sitting in the corner that hasn't prepared. And I just think, you're not. I'm sorry, you're not going to make it. You're mm. not going to make it in this in this profession. Yes. And the ones that kind of you know have prepared and have you know, it, they just lean in. Yeah, they lean in. They question. They challenge. Mm. You always see that, that those names become memorable. You know, you're going to see them, and they're going to do well mm. in life. So. It's just don't take a back seat in your life, lean, lean in um, mm. and, and just take advantage of these opportunities. Like mm. coming to the Weir events, they've got an opportunity to have 10 minutes with you on a and a yeah. I mean, everyone did. They rushed in, they asked questions. And to me, that is them leaning in. And that's yes. that's always going to be good for what recruiters should do or TAs. Um, we said before about introducing regular exercise in your life. It's a stressful job. It's really stressful. It's particularly stressful now for people. Um, You know, the, the, the balance is changing. It's shifting. They're going back to the office. They're getting back to normal. And that has been hard for some people, mm. right? Just getting people back into that kind of groove. Yeah. So by introducing regular exercise in your life, I think that really helps with those sort of endorphin rush. Mm. Next one is just um, more of would be spending time observing the top performers in your office. Perfect that craft. Sit in on their candid interviews. Sit in when they're doing a BD call. Don't be embarrassed. I mean, they might be embarrassed having you sit there like a stalker, but you know no. what? If you really, really want to be the best, you have to really just do the do do the extra. Yes. But like if you look around the office and you're new and you see someone that's always hitting the numbers man take them for coffee like learn what is it they're doing what's their diary look like how are they executing stuff how are they're building relationships how do they screen a candidate what are they doing listen to podcasts like talent talk asia right listen to them <laughs> but i'm interviewing people that are good at what they do yeah. so listen to them right yeah. it's just observing that yeah. get a coach get a mentor um join a club or a community stretch your thinking of your knowledge of your sector meet up regularly with the accounts and clients don't don't rely on whatsapp um and ask for exclusivity or retainers. I think one thing that recruiters are still getting that confidence in is getting paid for what they're worth. You know, working on contingent sucks. It absolutely sucks. And you've got clients that are, that know that it's really hard to find people, but they're still working on contingent with them. So recruiters have either got to ask for exclusivity or they've got to get paid for the time. If they're going to prioritise that organisation, they've got to pay for it. It's not easy one, attracting a candidate and making sure that you can manage them through that whole process, that they onboard, you know, they get the offer, they onboard them, all of that. So, if they, so I, I really think recruiters have, um, I'd say, have the confidence to ask the question and, yeah. and be proud of what you do in recruitment. Yeah. Um, less of, I didn't have as much of, it was just more, what should recruiters do, less of spending time with not ambitious people. Yeah, you said <laughs> people, it. People that bring them down, people yeah. that say, Toxic people. why are you doing that? Mm. That's not going to work. You're never going to hit those numbers. You're not going to be the best. That person's always the best. You know, look at your league table and say, you might be at the bottom because you're new. Spend your life trying to get to the top, right? It's it's just um, set your own goals. Break mm. your own goals. Don't necessarily tell your boss what your what your target is in your head if it's higher than what theirs is. But um, push yourself. Have fun with it. Yeah. Um, less of, I'd say, not stand on top of technologies. You know, being... Be aware of what's coming in. Mm. These new tools that are coming in. I mean, they're constantly changing. Even LinkedIn, right? I mean, yep. I looked at your profile a couple of weeks ago. I saw that talks about thing. I had no idea what that was about. What? Sorry. You know the LinkedIn new feat it's probably not even a new feature where yes. it says talks about Oh, these- the hashtag. Yeah, yeah. I no, don't know where that came from. No idea. No idea. Right? So no if one ever tells someone you. Just put it LinkedIn there. never tells you. It's yes. just there. So mm. again, it's being aware of that because yes. if you're not modernizing your own profile, then yeah. people are going to think, well, how are you modern when it comes to being creative with your sourcing yes. channels or how are you attracting candidates, right? Mm. All those kind of things.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, less of asking curious questions. You know, ask curious questions about people. Understand them. Get to know them. Make your... CV summaries on candidates different. Don't let a client see what's on the CV, what's on LinkedIn. Get under the bonnet of people. Find out what really makes them yeah. tick. It makes so much more of a joy Definitely. for a HR or a line manager to actually yeah. understand how someone problem solves, how they went about that project, what part they played. You know, get into the behavioural-based mm. interviews. Really find out about what your candidates are about. It'll be better for your screening, better for your life in general. Love that. Those, Thanks, those are my one top ones. And so we're coming to the
1: end of the Podcast time flies. We have been in flow. Uh, we have <laughs> yes. So Andrew, just now earlier in the in the interview, you mentioned that you've had to say once to someone you interviewed that you he or she is not cut out for this industry. <laughs> Best to cut their losses and get out. I've done that once to to someone. And I'm gonna ask, have you ever said to someone who's not a recruiter that, hey, you
0: should try being a recruiter because I I think
1: there must be some listeners out there. No, always. I still
0: do it now. um, If I'm in a coffee shop in Singapore and I've had exceptional service and they've just gone the extra mile, which let's be honest, service is absolutely rubbish in Singapore, let's be honest. Um, So when you do get that, I do suggest it. I always, yeah. or I'll even text someone in recruitment and go, Hey, there's this guy at this coffee shop. I don't know, there's just something about him. You yes. might want to check him out. I mean not in Give a... me
1: the guy's contact. Yeah. I want that guy's contact. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I actually do I still notice that. I mean, obviously I'm not in recruitment and hiring people in that respect, but I think for recruitment leaders really struggling to find good people on the ground, is don't be afraid to find people that maybe it's someone at the gym yeah. or it's a tennis coach or it's but it's just yeah find those people in your life because they're there. I totally
1: agree. I totally, I've done that. I've been served at the buffet once. I love that guy. And once at Harvey Norman, the guy is just exceptional service. Then I find out he's underage. He's like 17. He was still in school. So I gave him my card. I was like, (laughs) you know, call me in a few years time. But anyway. I love that. Thank you for being a guest on your own Thank show. Thank you for being Talent a host. You're Asia. amazing. Well done. No, I really yeah. appreciate it. You, know, you always do a rapid fire round. I thought no, I was no. surprise you no. with two questions. Oh, you no, have. You. I have, oh my god. Okay. I have. I have a few questions. Go for it. No. Go okay. For it. What's your favorite drink? Easy. Cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitan. Nice. And what is the motto you live by? Make it count. Make it count. I love that. So thank you for giving me the honor to host. That was fun. It's the first time ever that the interviewer became the interviewee. I know, on, I know, I know the, and the I've podcast. been waiting
0: two years to find someone that was that I was happy and proud enough to have on my as a, as a uh, host. So thank you. Really I'm so privileged. It. I'm so blessed. I've enjoyed myself tremendously, and
1: I'm sure everyone had a wonderful time listening to your story, your insights, your take on the recruitment industry, and more importantly, we all now have a lot of ideas on how to level up as a recruiter. I know I have. So if you like what you heard, please rate and review this podcast on Spotify and please be generous and share it with a friend. Thank you so much, Angel. Thank you. It's a wrap. Thank
0: you. Thank you. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.